Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mom of the Hard Kid. Today, we're going to be talking about mourning the life that you always wanted. So when I was younger, I was never one of those people who wanted to have a ton of kids. I knew in the back of my mind that I wanted a family and that I wanted to get married, but I wasn't a romantic person. I didn't have a lot of idealizations about what the perfect family was going to be like or what the perfect husband was going to be like. I was more concerned with, you know, having fun and and getting a good education. Those are things that I was really concerned about. But when I met my husband 17 years ago, I knew he was the right guy for me. And while our story is lightly intricate, I I knew it. I knew he was the one I wanted to have a family with. Our kids came and the kids, including the growing of and the taking care of, was so hard on me physically and mentally, but I knew what kind of family I wanted. I wanted kids who knew things. I wanted them to know geography and reading and math. I wanted them to be inquisitive and confident. I wanted them to have strong beliefs and values, and I wanted them to be safe. I wanted us all to love each other and to be a cohesive, happy family. I wouldn't say I didn't get those things, but as life went on, I really ended up wanting a cuddly, snuggly baby at the tail end of my family. I wanted a mama's baby who wanted me and loved me and stuck by me because my oldest wasn't that way. She, she didn't want to be touched. She wasn't, it wasn't her thing. But I wanted, you know, you just kind of idealize some stuff. And I was, I wanted a girl at the end and I wanted it to be my buddy. Well, as luck would have it, I got the girl, but my daughter hated me all the way through to my soul. So life was not exactly as I had imagined it. I thought we would travel. I thought we would stick by each other. I thought we would laugh at the same jokes. But instead, I got a child who hated me. And to be honest, I didn't really like her that much either. I would sit on my bedroom floor and I would cry because I just spend an entire day fighting with a baby about things babies shouldn't even be able to understand and shouldn't be able to attack me with. And I just longed for the baby of my imagination, the one who loved me and who wanted me so much that she would cry when I would drop her off at the sitter, which none of my babies did. (laughs) But instead, I got a baby who at under two years old would tell me that she wished I was dead so she could live with another family because she would live with any other family than me. I grew resentful. I hated everyone. I hated her. I hated the me that I'd become. I hated God. I hated the little one's biological parents. I hated my husband. I hated the medical community for not being able to help. I hated everything. I was sinking and I was lost and I was mourning the life I didn't get to have. Well, when you look up the steps of grief, you usually come up with the five stages of grief. And they usually are used in conjunction with death, but the In this case, I guess it's the death of the life that you thought you were going to have. So the first step that they say is denial. 
And I don't think this really fits in this context. So I would use the word ignoring, you know, putting it off. And this is the point where I think that you think that the behaviors of your child are just a phase and that things are going to get better. And you're saying to yourself, oh, they're just going to grow out of it. There's no way that that weird, crazy reaction that makes me think she's going to grow up a siller to be a serial killer is real. Like there's no way that she's way too young. Like this, this can't be the reality that I'm looking at. No way, no way did she just do that thing and stick it in my food. No way. Like that's crazy. She's way too young. People don't do that. I would say that that's kind of what I would put in the denial category. Then you have the anger category. And as I mentioned before, I definitely know the anger category. I couldn't find it in myself to love all that many people. I did love the people inside my home. But even showing that love would cause a reaction in my youngest child because she didn't want me to show love to anybody. She didn't want me to love anybody more than her, but she also didn't want me to love her. So it was a weird, very difficult dynamic. And definitely, I definitely had anger. (laughs) Definitely. So the third is bargaining. And this is where I think you try to find out a way to undo the stuff that's been done. And my mind went everywhere. I was looking at everything. I was going to Um, like these places where they promise to cure your kid's autism. Like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to do this and this is going to happen and we're going to make this work. And I was going to try every option just to get respite from the pain that I was feeling, just to get respite from the stress I was feeling because it was massively overwhelming and I needed something and I was willing to do so much. I was willing to take back things that I'd done. I was willing to do things that I hadn't done. I was so willing and just to make a change. But I couldn't get in. Those weren't real things. This fourth step is depression. And I can tell you from my experience, I have never sunk lower. I have been depressed in my life, but never to the extent where I would classify the numbness inside me as like a, as a physical solid. I was like, I was a stone inside. And it was the only way I could keep myself together is just to be one solid piece of absolute cold nothing. I've never been so low in my entire life. And I hope I never get to that point again. But the last category is acceptance. And this is the place where you realize where you are, you lace up your boots and you get to work. Now, these are the normal five, but of course, in reality, everything's a little bit more complex than that. And some models have seven categories, one that adds shock at the beginning, which I definitely think could fit, (laughs) where you're like, what the heck? What was that? What the heck? I think that definitely fits with reactive attachment disorder. (laughs) And the other one at the end that they've added called processing grief, which I imagine is just a really critical part of any kind of any kind of grieving that happens. I think that's good. But 
When you look it up, you can find more references to more categories. And they have categories like loneliness and frustration and disorganization. And I would add in my case, crazy lady information gorging, where she reads every book and every article that she can get her hands on while simultaneously blabbing for hours about it to anyone who will listen. Because when you lose a person, it's done it happened. There is nothing you can do. But when you lose an ideal, which I believe is way less hard than losing a person, you get stuck thinking you can change things. And it can pull you under like a river's eddy. And it will hold you under and never let you back up. Can you change things? Yeah. But in the time it takes to make the changes, you're still under and you're still drowning. And in the moment, you don't know if you're going to pop up on the other side. For all you know, you're either going to be stuck here for 18 years or you're not going to make it. In the support pages of the reactive attachment parent group, parents have been known to wonder why their children were not the ones afflicted with cancer while other kids who are innocent and sweet get cursed with it. Parents detach from their children emotionally and wish their children the worst, just so they don't have to deal with them anymore. Now, I don't fault these parents for their thoughts, as long as they're not actions, because when you raise a normal kid, these thoughts are terrible. They're abhorrent. But when you raise a hard kid, and some of these parents have hard kids... These thoughts are are for processing their grief more than anything else. I mean, when your child kills your spouse or actively threatens you with a knife or a gun, you tend to go to some pretty dark places in terms of guilt. These are not my stories, but these are real true stories from the support page. It gets pretty dark over there. The chances of being murdered by your child increase dramatically with a reactive attachment disorder child. And the child of your, the chances of your child being murdered by someone else increase dramatically as well. So raising a hard child can be a deep, dark place. And I imagine being a child with reactive attachment disorder feels like a deep, dark place as well. So one of the best stepping stones I had in my understanding of my reactive attachment, disinhibited social engagement disorder child was realizing that the dark places she could pull me to were where she lived. The resentment, the anger, the bargaining, the guilt, the depression, the loneliness, the disorganization, the searching and the yearning for something better, something good and something to calm the storm she lived there. She was pulling me into the place she lived. She wasn't doing it on purpose. She was stuck there, just like we get stuck there. She was pulled under and she never knew when she was going to come back out. She was grieving the life she always wanted without the background of being able to wrap her head around what that means. In a way, I think these reactive attachment disorder kids, the severe ones, are experiencing so many issues at the same time that working through any one issue at one time seems like an impossibility. But when I finally came to terms that my baby, my tiny little girl, 
wanted her imaginary world with her real parents, I was able to realize that we were both mourning a life that we were never going to have. So now, how do we process that when we're not going to have the lives we've always wanted? She wants one. I want one. But as difficult as it is, it has to start with you. When I got to the point where I could accept what she was, where she was coming from, and that there was a real potential that there is a negative future involved here, I was able to turn from counting down the days till she's 18 to switching that off, numbing myself from the criticism of others and saying, hey, self, my job is to provide her with a safe place, offer her healing options, and that's all I can do. The rest is going to be up to her. But I had to give up that control and accept that life was just going to be a bumpy ride for the next 15 years. Because acceptance is a really nice place to get to. But I can assure you that I tanked pretty hard for kind of a lot of years before I got to this place. And even still, when it starts heading back to the bad places, and my PTSD kicks in, and I have to start this whole process all over again. But I've learned over time, I can do it. I can make it through these panic moments. And over time, my daughter has learned that she can do it and she can make it through these panic moments as well. So my last advice is to go ahead and grieve. Go ahead. There was a life that you wanted, a life you didn't get, but give yourself a time frame. You really did lose something you wanted. Say, I'm going to mourn. I'm going to give myself 30 days to just sink into this and just feel sorry for myself and be okay. If you only need three days, take three days. I highly encourage you not to take more than two months, but I understand it's hard. But take that time, mourn that process, and then lace up those bootstraps and get to work. Because once you accept where you are and once you accept where your child is, You're able to put that as your new floor, your new baseline, and get to work. Because as much as we dream of those things, the dreams are not going to take us places unless we actually put the work in. I'm going to keep this one short today, but I wish you guys all the best in your parenting. Thanks so much for joining me.